Chapter Thirteen. I plunged to my death. We spent two days on the Amtrak train, heading west through the hills, over rivers, past amber waves of grain. We were attacked once, but I didn't relax. I felt that we were traveling around in the display case, being watched from above and maybe from below. That something was waiting for the right opportunity. I tried to keep a low profile because my name and pictures were splattered over the front page. Of several East Coast newspapers, the Trenton Register news showed a photo taken by a tourist as he got off the Greyhound bus. I had a wild look in my eyes. My sword was a metallic blur in my hands. It might have been a baseball bat or a lacrosse stick. The pictures captioned read: "12-year-old Percy Jackson wanted for questioning in the Long Island disappearance of his mother two weeks ago." Is shown here fleeing from the bus where accosted several early women, female passengers. The bus exploded on an East New Jersey roadside shortly after Jackson fled from the scene. Based on eyewitnesses and accounts, police believe the boy may have been traveling with other teenagers, accomplices. His stepfather, Gabe Agliano, has offered a cash reward for information leading to his capture. Don't worry, Annabeth told me. Royal police could never find us. But she didn't sound so sure. The rest of the day, I spent alternately pacing the length of train because I had a really hard time sitting still or looking out of the windows. Once I spotted a family of centaurs galloping across a wheat field. Both at the ready, as they hunted lunch. The little boy centaur, who was the size of a second grader, on a pony, caught my eye and waved. I looked around the passenger car, but nobody else had noticed. The adult riders all had their faces buried in laptop computers or magazines. Another time, toward evening, I saw something huge moving toward the woods. I could have sworn it was a lion, except the lions don't live wild in America, and this thing was the size of a hummer. Its fur glinted gold in the evening light. Then it leapt through the trees and was gone. Our reward money for returning Gladiola the poodle had only been enough to purchase tickets as far as Denver. We couldn't get birds in the sleeping car, so we dozed in our seats. My neck got stiff. I tried not to drool in my sleep, but since Annabelle was sitting next to me, Grover kept snoring and bleeding and waking me up. Once he shuffled around, his fake foot fell off. Annabelle and I had to stick it back before any of the other passengers noticed. So Annabelle asked me once we got in Grover's sneaker readjusted, "Who wants your help?" What do you mean? When you were asleep just now, you mumbled. I won't help you. Who are who are you dreaming about? Iris reluctant to say anything. It was the second time I dreamed out of an evil voice from the pit, but it bothered me so much I finally told her. Annabeth was silent, quiet for a long time. That doesn't sound like Hades. He always appears on a black throne, and he never laughs. He offered me mutter and trade. Who else could do that? I guess if he meant. Help me rise from the underworld. He, if he wants war with the Olympians, but why ask you to bring him his master bolt if he already need, already has it? 
I shook my head, wishing I knew the answer. I thought about what Grover had told me, that the Furies on the bus seemed to have been half looking for something. I shook my head, wishing I already knew the answer. I thought about what Grover had told me, that the Furies on the bus seemed to have been looking for something. Where is it? Where is it? Maybe Grover sensed my emotion. He snorted in his sleep, muttered something about vegetables, and turned his head. Abbott readjusted his cap so it covered his horns. Percy can't barter with Hades. You know that, right? He's deceitful, heartless, and greedy. I don't care if his kindly ones weren't as aggressive at this time. This time? I asked. You mean you've run into them before? Her hand crept up to her necklace. She fingered a glaze white bee painting with the image of a pine tree one of her clay end of summer tokens let's just say i got no love for the lord of the dead you can be tempted to make a deal for your mom what would you do if it was your dad that's easy she said i leave him to rock you're not serious abbott's gray eyes fixed on me she wore the same expression she'd worn in the woods at camp, the moment she drew her sword against the hellhound. My dad's resented me since the day I was born, Percy, she said. He never wanted a baby. When he got me, he asked a teenager to take me back and raise me on Olympus because he was too busy with his work. She wasn't happy about that. She told him heroes had to be raised by their mortal parents. But how... I mean, I guess you weren't born in a hospital. I feared that my father's doorstep in a golden cradle, carried down from Olympus by Zephyr, the West Wind. You think my dad would remember that as a miracle, right? Or maybe he'd take some digital photos or some most inconvenient or something. But. He always talked about my arrival as if it were the most inconvenient thing that ever happened to him. When I was five, he got married and totally forgot about Atina. He got a regular mortal wife, and he had two regular mortal kids. And try to pretend they didn't exist. I stared out of the train window. The lights of a sleeping town were drifting by. I wanted to make Annabeth feel better, but I didn't know how. My mom married my mom married a really awful guy, I told her. Grover said she did it to protect me. I mean the sense of human family. Maybe that's what your dad was thinking. Annabeth kept worrying at her necklace. She was pinching the gold college ring that hung with a bead. It occurred to me that the ring must be her father's. I wondered why she worried if she hated him too so much. He doesn't care about me, she said. His wife, my stepmom, treated me like a freak. She wouldn't let me play with her children. My dad went along with her. Whatever something dangerous happened, you know, something with monsters, they would both look at me resentfully, like, how dare you put our family at risk? Finally, I took the hint. I wasn't wanted. I ran away. How old were you? Same age as when I started camp, seven. But you couldn't have gotten all the way to Camp Haplet by yourself. Not alone, no. Latina watched over me, guided me towards help. 
I made a couple of unexpected friends who took care of me, for a short time anyway. I wanted to ask what happened, but Annabeth seemed lost in sad memories. So I listened to the sound of Grover soaring and gazed out on the train windows as the dark fields of Ohio raced by. Toward the end of our second day on the train, June 13, eight days before the summer solstice, we passed through some golden hills and over the Mississippi River and to St. Louis. Abbott craned her neck to see the gateway arch, which looked to me like a huge shopping bag handle stuck on the city. I want to do that, she sighed. What? I asked. Build something like that. You ever see a Parthenon person? Only in pictures. Someday I'm going to see it in person. I'm going to build the greatest monument to the gods ever. Something that lasts a thousand years. I laughed. You, an architect? I don't know why, but I found it funny. This idea of Adam trying to sit quietly and draw all day. Yes, an architect. Her cheeks flush. Yes, an architect. I can expect her children to create things, not just tear them down like a certain god of earthquakes I could mention. I watched the churning brown water of the Mississippi River. Sorry, Annabeth, that, that was me. Can't we work together a little? I pleaded. I mean, did a teen named Poseidon ever cooperate? Annabeth had to think about that. I guess the chariot, he, she said tentatively. My mom invented it, but Poseidon created the horses out of crests of waves. So they had to work together and make it complete. Then we can cooperate too, right? We rode into the city, Abbott watching the arch disappearing behind the hotel. I suppose, she said at last. We pulled into an on-track station downtown. Then Terracon told us we'd have a three-hour layover for departing from Denver. Grover stretched before he was fully awake. He said, food. Come on, you old boy, Annabeth said, sightseeing. Sightseeing? The Great White Arch, he said. This may be my only chance to ride to the top. Are you coming or not? Grover and I exchanged looks. I wanted to say no, but I figured that if Annabeth was going, couldn't very well let her go alone. Grover shrugged, as long as there's a snack bar without monsters. The arch was about a mile from the train station. Late in the day, the lines to get in weren't that long. We treaded out the way to the underground museum, looking at covered wagons and other junk from the 1880s. There wasn't all that trolling, but Annabeth kept telling us interesting facts about the archers built, and Grover kept passing jelly beans, so I was okay. I kept looking around, though at the other people in line. You smell anything? I muttered to Grover. He took his nose out of his jelly bean bag, long enough to sniff. Underground, he said distastefully. Underground, no air, always smell like monsters. Probably doesn't mean anything. But something felt wrong to me. I had a feeling we should be here. Guys, I said, you know the gods' symbols of power? 
I haven't had been in the middle of reading about construction equipment used to build arch. But she looked over. Yeah? Well, hate Glover clear his throat. We're in we're in a public place. I mean, our friend downstairs. I'm right. I said, our friend way downstairs. Doesn't he have a hat like Adabets? You mean the Helm of Darkness? Adabet said. Yeah, that's a symbol of power. I saw it next to his seat during the Winter Solstice Council meeting. He was there. I asked. She nodded. It's the only time he's allowed to visit Olympus, the darkest day of the year. But his helm is a lot more powerful than my invisibility hat. If what I've heard is true, it allows him to become darkness. Gro it allows him to become darkness, Grover confirmed. He can melt into shadow or pass through walls. He can't be touched or seen or heard. He can radiate fear so intense it could drive insane or stop her heart. Why do you think all rational creatures fear the dark? But then how do we know he's not here right now watching us? I asked. Annabeth and Grover exchanged looks. We don't, Grover said. Thanks, that makes me feel a lot better, I said. Got any blue jib jelly beans left? I almost mastered my jumping nerves when he saw a tiny little elevator car we were going to ride at the top of the arch. And I knew I was in trouble. I hate confined places. They make me nuts. We got shoehorned into the car with this big fat lady and her dog, a chinhuahua with a rhinestone collar. I figured maybe the dog was seeing I Chinwawa because none of the guards said a word about it. We started going up inside the arch. I'd never been in the elevator that went in the curve and my stomach wasn't so happy about it. No parents, the fat lady asked us. She had bee eyes, pointed coffee stained teeth, and a floppy demon hat. In a demon dress that bulged too much too much. She looked like a blue jean plimp. There below, Annabeth told her. Scared of heights. Oh, poor darlings. The chinuava growled. The woman said, No, no, Sonny, behave. The dog had beady eyes like its owner, intelligent and vicious. I said, Sonny, is that his name? No, said the, the lady told me. She smiled as if that cleared everything up. At the heart of the arch, the observation deck reminded me of a tin can with carpeting. Rows of tiny windows looked out over the city on one side and the river on the other. The view was okay, but if there's anything I like less than a confined space, it's a confined space 600 feet in the air, and I was ready to go pretty quick. Abbott kept talking about structural support and how she would have made the windows bigger and designed a see-through floor. She probably could have stayed up there for hours. But luckily for me, the park ranger announced the observation deck would be closing in a few minutes. I stared Grover and Annabeth toward the exit, loaded them into the elevator, and I was about to get in myself when I realized there were already two other tourists inside. No room for me. The park ranger said, Next car, sir. We'll get out, Grover's Annabeth said. We'll wait for you. 
but that was going to mess everybody up and take even more time. So he said, nah, it's okay, but I'll see you guys at the bottom. Grover and Annabeth both looked nervous, but they let the elevator slide sh But they let the elevator door slide shut. Their car disappeared down the ramp. Now, the only people left on the observation deck were me, a little boy with his parents, a park ranger, and a fat lady with her chihuahua. I smiled uneasily the fat lady. She smiled back, her forked tongue flickering between her teeth. Wait a minute, forked tongue? Before I could decide, I really seen that. Her chihuahua jumped down and started yapping me. Now, no, Sonny, the lady said. Does this look like a good time? We all have these nice people here. Doggy, said the little boy. Look, Doggy! His parents pulled him back. Did you know why I bared his teeth at me, foam dripping from his black lips? Well, son, the fat lady sighed, if you insist. I started foaming in my stomach. Um, did you just call the Chinawawa your son? Chimera, dear, said the fat lady corrected. Not a Chinawawa. It's an easy mistake to make. She rolled up her demon sleeves, revealing that the skin of her arms was scaly and green. When she smiled, I saw that her teeth were fangs. The pupils of her eyes were sideways slit, like her reptiles. The Chinawawa barked louder. With each bark, it grew, first to the size of a German, then to a lion, then the bark became a roar. The little boy screamed, his parents pulled him back toward an exit, straight up into the park ranger, who stood paralyzed, gaping at the monster. The chimera was now so tall, its black rubbed against the floor, the roof. It had the head of a lion with a blood of cake mane, the body and hooves of giant goat, and a serpent for a tail, ten foot long diamond back growing right out of its shaggy behind. The rhinestone dog collar sing still hung around his neck, and the plate sized dog tag was now easy to read. Chimera, rabbit fire breeding poisonous. If found, please call her Taurus. X nine five four. I realized I hadn't even encapped my sword. My hands went numb. I was ten feet away from the chimera's bloody maw, and I knew that as soon as I moved, the creature would long. The snake lady made a hissing noise that might have been laughter. Beyond approaching Jackson, Logis really allows me to test a hero in one of my moves. For I... And the model monsters, the terrible Echina. I stared at her. All I could think to say was, "Isn't that a kind of antiquator?" She howled, her Italian face turning brown and green with rage. I hate it when people say that. I hate Australia naming that ridiculous animal after me. For that, Percy Jackson, my son shall slay, destroy you. The Hamir charged, its lying teeth gashing. I'm actually beside and dodged the bite. It ended up next to the family park ranger, who were all screaming now, trying to pry open the emergency exit doors. I couldn't let them get hurt. I uncapped my sword, ran to the other side of the deck, and yelled, Hey, Chihuahua! The Chimera turned around faster than I would have thought possible. 
Before I could swing my sword, it opened its mouth. It made a stench like the world's largest barbecue pit. And shot a column of flame straight at me. I dodged the explosion. The carpet burst to flames. The heat was so intense, I nearly seared off my eyebrows. Where I had been standing at the moment before was a rag hole on the inside of the arch, which melted, metal steaming around the edges. Gray, I thought, we just blow towards a national monument. Riptide was now shining bronze blade in my hands, and as the chimera turned, I flashed his neck. That was my fatal mistake. The blade sparked harmlessly off the dog collar. I tried to regain my balance, but I was so worried about defending myself against the fiery lion's mouth. I completely forgot about the serpent tail until it whipped around and sang its fangs into my cow. My whole leg was on fire. I tried to jab Riptide into Chimera's mouth, but the serpent tail wrapped around my ankles and pulled me up balance, and my blade flew out of my hand, spinning out of the whole arch and down toward the Mississippi River. I managed to get to my feet, but I knew I had lost. I was weaponless. I could feel deadly poison racing up to my chest. I remember Kyron saying that Adeloximus would always return to me, but there was no pen in my pocket. Maybe it had fallen too far away. Maybe it only returned what it was in pen form. I didn't know, but I wasn't going to live enough to figure that out. I backed into the hole in the wall. The chimera advanced, growling, smoke curling from its lips. The snake lady, Echina, cackled. They don't make heroes like they used to, isn't? The monster growled. It seemed in no hurry to finish me off. Now I was beaten. I glanced at the park ranger in the family. The little boy was hiding behind his father's legs. I had to protect these people. I couldn't just die, try to think. But my whole body was on fire. My head felt dizzy. I had no sword. I was facing a massive fire-breeding monster in its mother, and I was scared. There was no place else to go. I stepped to the edge of the hole, far, far below the river glittered. If I die, would the monsters go away? Would they leave the humans alone? If you are son of Poseidon, Edgina hissed, you would not fear water, John Percy Jackson. Show me that water will not harm you. Jump and retrieve your sword. Prove your bloodline. Yeah, right. I thought. I read somewhere that jumping into water from a couple of stories up was like jumping into solid asphalt. From here, I splattered an impact. The chimera's mouth glowed red, hitting up for another blast. You have no fate, and Gina told me. You do not trust the gods. I could have blamed the little coward. Better you die now. The gods are faithless. The poison is in your heart. She was right. I was dying. I could feel my breath swallowing down. Nobody could save me, not even the gods. I backed up and looked down in the water. I remember the warm glow of my father's smile when I was a baby. He must have seen me. He must have visited me when I was in my cradle. I remember the swirling green trident that had appeared above my head the night of capture the flag, when Poseidon had claimed me as his son. But this wasn't the sea. This was this was the Mississippi, dead center of the USA. There was no sea god here. Die, faithless one, Agena rasped, and a chimera sent a column of flame toward my face. 
Father, help me, I prayed. I turned and jumped, my clothes on fire, pursing cor poison coursing through my veins. I plummeted toward the river. That is the end of chapter 13. Please stay chapter 14.